You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 16th of June, 2020. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at a video that, well, there's a number of things I've been wanting to look at by Sid Roth for some time. And um, I've also wanted to do something on dreams for years, and I've just never really gotten around to it. And I could have taken my pick. There's so many bad things that come out from Sid Roth's uh, YouTube channel. And there's a lot of bizarre stuff. I have briefly, I think, there was that one time I did deal with that episode where he spoke favorably of um, Smith Wigglesworth taking a baby and throwing the baby violently and uh, the baby being healed, apparently. So um, this, this stuff is doesn't need to be said it's it's dangerous unfortunately it's massively popular and unfortunately it's also the public face of christianity this is why i'm doing this i'm not doing it because i get my jollies out of it i'm hoping that um hopefully over the summer we do more things on various aspects of what when people are coming across christianity or Look, I grew up. In, I grew up in a Roman Catholic background, and what, what people think of non-Roman Catholicism, this is what they're that what they see. The stuff that's on uh, TBN or Sid Roth or all this kind of stuff, and uh, you know the Benny Hins and the Bill Johnsons of the world, and um, hopefully by God's grace, showing you that it's not biblical Christianity. It's not historic Christianity. It, it is. At times, the excesses that various fringe groups get into. Unfortunately, this fringe group has largely become huge. Well, not largely. It is huge. There are half a billion people who identify, identify, that means something great today, um, who are Pentecostal slash charismatic slash non-denominational, whatever they want to call themselves these days. Um, so half a billion people. How many of those churches are actually genuine churches which, with, where the gospel is preached? Apart from their views of signs, gifts, miracles, wonders, and all that kind of thing. I would say a minority. I don't know how many. But I would say a large amount. There's a massive amount of the prosperity gospel non-gospel, another gospel condemned in the scriptures. So, and this is, look, this is mainstream, sadly. This is mainstream charismaticism, so this is kind of why I want to I deal with this. And this is when you go to your typical evangelical church, 
these views have been massively influential because the mainstream Orthodox Church has said, largely said very little. Very little. Apart from, you know, a few conferences here and there, the Strange Fire Conference, and apart from some people like John MacArthur, uh, Walter Chantry wrote a book a couple of decades ago. A couple, apart from those few people, these views are relatively unchallenged and not seen as a big deal. It's not seen as a big deal if somebody claims to have seen Jesus come into his room. But if you have a good, firm grasp of theology, and you know about Sola Scriptura, and you know the fact that Jesus physically is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yes, Jesus is omnipresent because he is God Almighty, but his physical body is in heaven and is not going to return until the end of time. Pretty basic Reformed theology, historic Reformed theology, and people don't know enough of that to be able to kind of go, when someone claims bizarre things, let's continue. Let's continue our series through the Psalter. We're going to be looking at Psalm twenty-two. We're not going to be reading all of it because we just. I was thinking about actually doing a whole program on Psalm twenty-two. It's. An incredible psalm, obviously. It's a psalm where largely looks at the, the sufferings of Christ. There's a sense in which, yes, these are the sufferings of David on one level, but on there's some parts clearly referring to Christ, and, and David is a type of Christ. David, David's life is a type of Christ. It, it points towards the one who would come, especially those first few verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that Jesus cried out from the cross. I'm going to specifically focus on the, the sufferings of Christ in Psalm 22. There's, there, again, there's so many things you could do. Um and could look at, but I just want to look at some of the verses that deal with the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. Before we do, we'll, we'll say a few words of prayer, and hopefully, by God's grace, this will be a blessing to your soul. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, for your blessing, for your guidance, for your mercy, to open our eyes that we may behold great and wonderful things from your word. Lord, we pray that everyone listening, either during this live broadcast or after to the to the recorded program that all who would hear this would know you may the spirit of god bring them into union and communion with your son the lord jesus christ may they trust in your finished in the finished work of your son the lord jesus christ and may they not put any trust in the flesh may they not put any trust in themselves but may they flee from any confidence in self and run and trust in, and find rest in, and find hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, be with us, we pray, in these dark days, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 22. Again, we're not going to read all of this, but we're going to read 
verses 1 to 8, and we'll read some other verses as well. Psalm 22, this is God's holy and infallible word. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried in you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and am a no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. I'm going to read also from, uh, from verses verses 14 down to 21 as well. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Amen. And it's wonderful. Though the verses are wonderful as well. But I specifically wanted to focus on just that one aspect because, again, I contemplated whether or not to do an entire program on this psalm because there's so many wonderful and encouraging and uplifting parts. And I pray that you would sing it and not be afraid to sing it. And I pray that you would see why it's not wrong to sing it. Because I, I think, you know, sometimes we might look at the first verse and think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think, this is only speaking about Christ. How, how can I sing this in a congregation of the people of God? Well, who's, who are we in union with? By trust in him. Well, we're in union with Jesus Christ. And his sin no, not his sin. Our sin became his. He took our sin. He took our place. He satisfied justice in our place. And our sin was imputed to him, and his righteousness, by faith in him, has been imputed to our account. Those People chosen before the foundation of the world. Those for whom he died for. Think about this. Jesus could say these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out those words in the Aramaic. It's recorded in the Gospels. 
in agony, he cries out these words. But God the Father and God the Son enjoyed a perfect relationship from all eternity. A perfect, loving relationship. Jesus Christ never sinned, never could sin. Never ceased to be God. Never could cease to be God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. So how could God the Father forsake his only begotten Son? How is it possible on that dark hour on the hill of Calvary, could Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting how it's in in a relationship sense of my God. God becomes, judges him. Not for the sins, not for his own sins, because he had no sin, but for the sins of his people. He was treated like a criminal. He was treated like the lowest criminal, like a lawbreaker, having loved his father perfectly. Surely when we read these verses, we need a pause or there's something wrong with our Christian faith. The things that Jesus suffered, that he cried out in agony. If you're a believer, for you and for me. Only if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, this agony, this condemnation, this wrath of the Father of God of God will be poured upon you for all eternity, justly, his holy wrath, his holy hatred of sin, his holy hatred of sinners. Justice will be served. God can never, ever cease to be just. He can't just say, I'm just going to forget about sin and lay it aside. Can't happen. He cannot deny who he is. All sin will be judged will be condemned also we'll see the wrath of god but the question is whether you will bear it for eternity or whether christ has bore it on the cross and through his life as well but mainly on the cross it says in isaiah chapter 53 another part of the scriptures that clearly points towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before the incarnate Christ came in the flesh. When it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you've made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it's clearly speaking about Christ. And it pleased the Lord to bruise this suffering servant. This person, as it says in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's why. Because of that iniquity, that sin, that lawbreaking has been laid on him. Christ says on the cross. Now, in a... Yes, this speaks about David's suffering as well. But he was led by the Spirit of God to pen 
this psalm so that it would also speak more profoundly to the sufferings of Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <coughs> it's an astonishing verse. <coughs> verse 3 and 4. But you are holy. You are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. And who was the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They trusted and you delivered them. God sent deliverers. He sent Ehud, Othniel. He sent Samson. He sent all these deliverers. But ultimately, God was always Israel's deliverer. Another part of his sufferings that it points towards of Christ's, specifically this prophetic pointing towards his suffering. I'm poured out like water. There's the, the, just the, the, the emotional agony that is here in the psalm. I'm poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. And again, we can sing this. We can sing this. Because we're in union with Christ. We can sing this to Christ. Through Christ. About Christ. So again, don't be afraid to sing this psalm in praise to him. And again, as we said before, 1650 metrical psalter you can find online. There's also other psalters, but that's a pretty reliable one and a fairly easy one to get into if you're not used to psalm singing a cappella. And then it says this, something that points towards so clearly. Remember, when were the Psalms written? About a thousand years before Christ walked the earth. We talked about the book of Isaiah, which was written some seven, some hundreds of years before any of this happened. And this Psalm, Psalm 22, for dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have has enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, from the point of view of David as he's writing this, this is the agony he's going through. But obviously, this is pointing towards Christ, the prophetic nature of the scriptures, showing without a shadow of a doubt that it is true, time and time again, hundreds of years, pointing towards Christ, so that when he came, there's no doubt about it. Israel should have known. The only thing that prevented them from seeing what they didn't see was the blindness of their own heart. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. And they looked and stared at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Who is that pointing towards? Hundreds of years, about a thousand years before Christ was upon the earth, clearly speaking, of Christ. And it is such a wonderful... We can't, in our fallible minds, contemplate the agonies of Christ upon the cross, can we? We can 
people attempt, feeble attempts to do movies. You know, the, the Mel Gibson one, which Mel Gibson is not exactly an Orthodox Christian, to say the least. Uh, he got most of his inspiration from Catherine Emmerich's The Dolores Passion of the Cross, which is a lot of mysticism and a lot of things that she got these visions, apparently, not too dissimilar to what we'll be looking at in a second. But we need to go to the word, not man's imagination, not Hollywood, not anything else. But the word of the living God. And you want to have a sense of the agonies that Christ went through on the cross. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what he went through for you and for me. That none of us would have to suffer the hell he suffered for us, the torment he suffered for us. And so that when justice was satisfied upon the cross, he could say at the end of it, it is finished, paid in full. His body didn't see corruption, buried. And three days later, rose from the dead. His body didn't see corruption because he was not a sinner. Hopefully that's a blessing to your soul. And uh, if you've got any questions about anything like that, we can look at all the things about Sid Roth. We're going to look at it now. But if you don't know Christ, if he didn't suffer in your place, the just for the unjust, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. You might be able to kind of go, ah, oh, you know, I can see through the Black Lives Matter stuff, or I can... If you don't know Christ, none of this will matter. Political movements will come, will go. All the chaos that we see today will eventually pass by and it will be just a page possibly in history at some point. Just like the Spanish flu or whatever the case may be or maybe not even that much. But one thing will abide forever. Where will you spend eternity? Where? Who are you trusting in? Where is your hope? What is that thing that never ever changes? The word of the Lord the word of the Lord, and it calls all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. And unless you see yourself as a sinner, you'll never do so. Unless you'll see that Christ suffered for sinners like you and for me, then you'll never repent. And you'll see yourself as self-righteous. And you'll think that the gospel is foolishness. Because you're still in your sin. All right, so there's a clip. And again, there was many, many clips I could have looked at from Sid Roth. There was many of them for months. I kind of, I put them, I bookmarked them, watched them and go, I'll do critique on this. And something else came up and I kind of went, okay, this is not as important. So right now there's not a whole ton going on besides, uh, okay, in the news. What's in the news? Well, everything's to do with racism. Who knows what'll be next week? So um, I don't particularly want to be talking about that all the time because I've, I have a feeling something else will dominate the news in a week or two. Just a hunch. And we kind of want to not be, not ignorant to what's going on. We should be careful with uh, a lot of these quite frankly, Marxist theories that are going around. And uh, I've done 
bits here and there on, on social justice and all that kind of thing. But I think it's important that we, we know what we believe about the Word of God, and so that we're not tossed about with every wind of doctrine, and that we're not being moved away from the truth. So today, again, program I want to do for a long time on dreams, on visions, revelations, and all these kind of things. Um, so somebody said, didn't God tell you both his father and his son? N okay, just to clear up, I won't be having any, if there's anybody denying the Trinity in the forums, I'm... That's going to be... If somebody's got an honest question, fair enough. No, the, God, there is one God, and there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son died on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross. Um, denials, anything beyond that, you might say, I don't understand that. Well, you need to study the Scriptures more and accept it by faith. I did a program... But two or three programs ago, if you want to look at more things on the Trinity uh, in regards to that, feel free. Uh, that was a couple of programs ago, um, but there will be no <laughs> debating of something that's gone back that's been pretty settled early on. Praise God for truths like that being settled. Anyway, so, okay, we're going to look at Sid Roth and um, the video, if you're kind of, if you're looking for it, is how to interpret and understand your dreams. Adam Thompson and Adrian Beale. I could have picked other videos as well, but I'm particularly talking about the topic of dreams, revelations, years uh, since I became a Christian back in 2009. One of the first things I came across were a lot of people coming to me and quite a number of people saying they had this dream and they had that dream. I didn't know what to make of it, honestly. And um, it drove me into the Word of God, and it made me kind of go... I felt kind of, and this doesn't sound right, but I didn't want to condemn it outright without having studied it for a long time. So it drove me into a lot of study on charismatic movement, charismatic claims. So between 2000 and, I don't know, 10 to 12, I spent a lot of time on that, and trying to pick up any books I could get my hands on. John MacArthur, Walter Chantry, there was a book written... Oh, there's some famous works, uh, one by B.B. Warfield on Mark... I can't remember the exact name of it. It was written in 1918. It was based on a bunch of lectures. So this is a topic that's close to my heart because I feel like the, the new born-again Christian who's just come in, into the church, doesn't know what to expect... We'll have to be bombarded with these claims. So this is why I'm doing it. And we're going to be looking at this program from Sid Roth, which was not from that long ago. How many of us have had dreams? And we haven't really been able to figure it out. My guest has learned the language of heaven and teaches people how to know what their dreams really mean. Anyone here interested in really knowing what you want to learn that supernatural language? Get ready. I'm so excited about this show because yesterday we had a staff prayer meeting and I saw Adam move in the prophetic uh, in, in accuracy. Like, I have to tell you, I've never even seen that before. Now, you were not always prophetic, but you had uh, an automobile accident. Uh, what happened? 
Well, I did a stupid thing when I was a young, young man. You weren't. Okay, just again, don't want to be stopping all the time, and I probably say this way too much, but um, you've got to not start off with a story and with your experience and some anecdotal thing that happened to you. You see this? The Word of God. The Word of God. That is our final authority. That's where you need to start. If you've got a theology about anything, be very wary about anything that starts with a, an experience and this happened to me and this happened. None of it can be verified, number one. And um, I'm not going to say whether it's true or false. A lot of weird stuff can happen. There's a lot of weird stuff that happened even with the magicians back in the time of Pharaoh, you know, when, when Moses came with... With the rod threw down the rod, and the rod turned into a snake, and ate up the other. You know, they, I don't know what exact power the that occult forces have, or whatever. I don't know. The point is, here's the objective source of truth: the Word of God. And if you're going, and if you're trusting experiences, it's a, it's subjective, and there's no end to the kind of error you could go into weaver no i wasn't a believer and uh I, I, yeah we were pretty stupid before we knew the messiah <laughs> some of us even after i can't believe i said that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i did a pretty stupid thing driving home from a party i was intoxicated with alcohol with a friend of mine one of my best friends and all of a sudden <laughs> there was this massive bang and we we drove under a truck. Ooh. So I got out of the car, and then and the, the the actual truck driver noticed. If you ever are giving your testimony, don't just if you're telling your testimony. This isn't quite a testimony; it's more of a some kind of a story. Don't go into all the gory details. Okay, um, to be honest. Just say, be incredibly vague. You might say drinking drugs and, you know, there's a way to tell about it. There's a way, to, you know, that's necessary. You know, Paul did with the Pharisees when he was sharing his testimony with them and sharing the gospel with them and things like this. But be careful because there are, there's a lot of testimonies around and, oh, I can't believe you did that before. Wow, you're some rock star and, you know, it's all this kind of stuff. Um. It's dangerous, just saying. If you do have a very exciting-sounding testimony, look, I gave my testimony. I hope, I don't know, I haven't looked back in years. I did. I recorded it back in 2013. I hope it's not in too much detail. But I think as long as you don't glorify your past, and there comes a point where you kind of just leave behind, and I can barely remember most of my past prior to 2009, honestly. Um. intoxicated i was actually seeing double that's how drunk i was and he called the police and there was a big scene and uh, i thought to myself oh boy i'm i'm in a lot of trouble i went aside a little bit and i started to pray and uh, my friend said what are you doing and i said i'm i'm praying to god and he said what what why and i said well i'm going to pray to god i'm praying to god that if he gets me out of this I will, uh, uh, I'll go to church and I'll actually repent and, and ask God into my life and follow him. And uh, 
He didn't know what to say, my friend. But uh, the police officer came up to me and he showed me, he, he, he showed me this machine. I had to blow into this, this thing to test my breath. And he looked at it and it was completely negative. And, uh, you know, and I... Okay, I got a huge amount of problems with this. And I, this is just, this is just horrendous. Um, you were driving, you should have went to prison first and foremost. Um, <laughs> miracles, signs and gifts of miracles and wonders are always to authenticate the message. They're not to get a, and he's quite clear that he didn't repent at this point and he didn't trust in Christ at this point. Um, it's not to get somebody like that out of trouble and like, what, what would be the purpose of anyway? But, <sighs> bizarre story and you know, it's not good seeing double I was trying very hard to be sober so that, that that was that was in your mind and in mine too that was an absolute miracle he becomes a believer then he has a visitation from Jesus what happened right. well 10 years later one night yeah. I actually uh, yeah, came home right uh, from a late night Good after night, a long man. day's work all my family were asleep And um, I, I saw this uh, TV article on uh, CNN of this, uh, this TV evangelist. They caught him out, you know, uh, you know with, with some sin that he did, you know, with some prostitutes. And uh, I called it out. I was getting angry and I said, where are you, Lord, when these men mock you? And I was looking for an excuse not to serve God. Anyway, the long story short, uh, uh, it's not very clear testimony whether he claims to have come to christ at that point um look you come on the terms given by god you don't say well if you get me out of this trouble i'll serve you no you repent you deal with the consequences of your sin you there may be lingering consequences from your past the lord's merciful the lord is sovereign Okay, but you come to him on his terms. You repent and believe because you are the lawbreaker. You need him, not the other way around. Never forget that. We need Christ. We need God. Had he sent every single one of us to hell, he would have never ceased to be loving and good. He doesn't deserve, we, we, none of us deserve anything. Why do we deserve the love of God? Why do we deserve the mercy of God? That's by very definition. Being merciful is the very exact opposite of meriting something. Now, I'm going to not show this on the TV because there's a, basically a second I felt the violation. presence of God come into the room so strong. It came so thick, I found myself shaking. My hands were shaking. Then I found myself on my knees shaking. I found myself, you know, completely wiped out on the floor, prostrate, with the presence of God so strong, it was like a bright light just switched on in the place. And I was repenting because I wasn't sure what was happening. I thought I was, I was gonna die. But what happened was before me was this fire, like a, all I can describe it as like a burning bush. But in this fire was a man and it was a voice that spoke to me, went right through me, and I knew it was the Lord. 
But he said something interesting. He said, well, I'm here now. What would you like me to do for you? And I said, Lord, give me... It's kind of weird. It's like a combination of Moses and uh, Abraham and everything else combined. And, you know, if this is true, then he's more important than Moses and Abraham and all... This is the problem with a lot of the claims of these people. Not only if they turned out to be true, they would overthrow much of this, the scriptural basis for our beliefs. For example, give you an example. Um, who was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? Who was the most central figure in the Old Testament? Moses. Largely, if you're going to summarize what is the central theme, if you're going to go one theme in the book of Hebrews, Christ is better. That, okay, these things were glorious, but they were pointing towards Christ. So all these pointed towards Christ. There were lots of dreams and prior to, you know, prior to the time of Moses, Joseph, um, Abimelech, the time of Abraham was warned in a dream. Also Jacob. And actually, if you look at the scriptures, a lot of the dreams, not all, not all of them or anything, but there was a large quantity of them at least recorded prior to the time of Moses writing the first five books of the scriptures known to us as Genesis, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The book, the book of Moses. When we talk about the scriptures, we, and when the New Testament refers to the law and the prophets and the writings, well, the law is referring to, you know, the Torah is referring to the first five books of the Bible, if you look at and uh, pick up an Old Testament, it's not actually called an Old Testament. It'll say in Hebrew writing, Torah, um, it'll say, um, sorry, um, law, the prophets, Navaim, and then uh, the writings. The writings is anything outside of that, the wisdom writings, stuff like Proverbs and the Psalms. We have the completed word of God. We have what Jacob didn't have and what Abraham didn't have. The written scripture. Wisdom. That's all I asked. I said, Lord, give me wisdom. I kept asking that. And I said, in fact, give me double portion of Solomon's wisdom. Probably a, a month after that, that encounter, I had this massive impartation of the Spirit of God where I couldn't stop laughing and speaking in tongues. Okay, but then you started. Okay, that's just bizarre. Um, okay, so where do you start? Okay, again, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a tiny bit of time on this this whole claim because a lot of charismatics, 
claim this experience of seeing Jesus come into their living room or something like that, and they see him physically. You know, he talks about the burning bush, but in the burning bush in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, was it Deuteronomy? Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter four, when it talks about the burning bush from verses twelve to sixteen, it is clear that Moses saw Moses saw no form of similitude. Why? So that they would not corrupt themselves and form any image. Okay, clear second commandment violation. Um. So a lot of differences from what we know in the scriptures. What are we to expect about Christ's bodily return? Now, he's spiritually present in you know, the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, things like that. He is, he is the word of the living God. Okay. But for his physical body to return, his physical body, because we keep hearing this claim over and over and over again, that Jesus came in and all this kind of stuff, we're told that he will return in like manner. So let's talk about the ascension. Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 9 now, when he had spoken these things, that's referring to Jesus, while they watched the apostles, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to come back visibly before all to see. When? Very clearly. Study play passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 15. At the end of time, when it brings in the new heavens and the new earth. Knowing people's names and things about That's them, right. their conditions. Uh, I just, I, things started to happen to me. I couldn't explain. I had to work it out myself and because I never had any mentors. But I, I, I could see in the... Anybody else find that dangerous when... You, see, this is the thing. It's highly subjective and it's, oh, you have to work it out for yourself. Anything from Scripture, anything from Scripture all along. No, no, no. This is purely intuitive. This is purely... How, what is the difference between this and the New Age practices? What is the difference between the charlatan palm readers and the guys who claim to be able to read your dreams and the guys who be able to do your, all this stuff? What is the difference? Hey, some people within the charismatic movement have gone so far as to say, hey, you know why it's so similar? Well, because those New Agers over there, they, they stole from us. That's the claim of Bethel in Redding, California. Was um, they had a book written about quantum physics? The name escapes me now. Where did they put it on the shelf? There, I did a. If you look up the program New Age Bethel Theology, something like that, it'll come up. That's again, where does one begin and one end? And you'll actually find a lot of these people in the charismatic have 
new age backgrounds. Look, and I, I know people who have new age backgrounds who are not charismatics, but the thing about it is, are you, are you sure that you're not just dragging your presuppositions of, of this kind of stuff and dragging it in and, and imposing it on the text? You also talked about laughing and, um, what was the other thing? Oh, speaking in tongues. Well, New Testament tongues, as Old Testament tongues were known human languages. Acts chapter 2, the people from the Medes and Persians, Mesopotamia and uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, all these people could understand um, Peter speaking to them instead of the, hearing them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. These were known human languages. Charismatic movement doesn't really believe that. Not well, because it'd be easy to disprove it very quickly. Um, they have to say it's some kind of a heavenly vision. Uh, and the uncontrollable laughter, well, that's really a modern... I think, from what I know, it's a fairly recent 1990 uh, laughing revival phenomenon. Nothing to do with scripture. I think it was Rodney Howard Brown believed it was from the idea that, oh, they thought Peter was drunk. What was he doing? It was, it, it's a ridiculous argument. Um, people who are worshipping before God, even when, look, even in the Old Testament, before the completion of the canon of Scripture, by the way, these signs, gifts, miracles, wonders aren't around anymore. They were there to authenticate the word of God. They were there to authenticate the messenger. They were there to authenticate people like Moses. They were there to authenticate people like Elijah, Elisha. John the Baptist never did a miracle. They were there to authenticate Jesus Christ, the apostles. Why? Because they wrote scripture, largely. and they. And the prophets as well, when they were coming with warnings of judgment and message, they claimed messages from God. How would you know it was a message from God? They would predict something in the future, and if it came to pass, you'd actually know it was from God. God would authenticate the message. He's not an author of confusion. It's not just some nebulous nonsense. And by the way, if they got one thing wrong, Deuteronomy 13, they were leading people astray after foreign gods, or Deuteronomy 18 at the end of the chapter. It's very clear. If they got one thing wrong, they didn't speak for God. They spoke presumptuously, and they were to be put to death. Now, I'm not saying that a death penalty is for today. That is the judicial law given to Israel as a nation. However, it's still evil and wrong to claim that you're speaking on behalf of God when you're not. And this, this is the mess. This is the, not just in the charismatic movement, it's spilled out into reformed churches at times. Don't tell me and don't claim that this stuff is completely isolated to charismatic church. It's not. It's not, sadly. See in the spirit. I'm in the street. I can. I knew what was wrong with people. 
I even knew uh, uh, one time I knew a cafe in a cafeteria. I knew the lady's name, and she she thought I was some sort of stalker. She freaked out. How do you know me? And I'm thinking, I don't know why I know these things. <laughs> but and but he gradually learned. Now, Adrian. You two work together in the most phenomenal way. What is your... And how many people... <laughs> how many people have been... There was a there was a program done a couple of years ago, Darren Brown, who's a hypnotist. Now, not a, not a fan of hypnosis. I don't know what kind of things they use, whether it's mystical or if it's just trickery or all of the above. Don't use it. However... He did do a documentary about an hour long, a couple of years ago, where he got somebody off the street, some some scuba instructor or something like that, and trained him in all these hypnotic techniques. And this guy was able to put on one of these Benny Hinn type fooling people that they were healed, lengthening the leg, the stuff that uh, Todd White does. A lot of it's hypnosis, suggestion, um, you know, it's like little things like, oh, is your name Jane? You know, and just little suggestions. And some people, there are things you can learn, right? To be able to manipulate people. Yeah, you'd be shocked. And I did a pro, I think it was, I don't know why I remember this number, episode 156, I think it was, um, where it talked about that documentary and, Charismatic Hypnotists, I think it's called, or something like that. If you type that into megataradio.com, you'll be able to find it. It's also on YouTube. This stuff is just... This movement is just filled with charlatans. People are claiming to have messages from God. There are some... I think there's a pocket of genuine believers, sincere in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Yeah. They need to come out of it quickly. And I'm all happy to talk with them, fellowship with them. But as soon as they start kind of going, well, I got a message from the Lord, they're challenging the word of God written. We're not talking about some, some thing that's up in the air and we don't really know about. Okay, let's continue. Art, uh, and what is Adam's part? You know, Sid, uh, Adam's got a tremendous seer prophetic gift. Uh, mine's a prophetic teaching gift. And the two seem to dovetail. One of our friends in Colorado, a friendship we've developed, says you two guys have got a one-two punch. And so uh, what uh, we complement each other. We're, we have a synergy between ourselves and God put us together so well. You know, it, it has a strength in the ministry when, bo when both aspects of the ministry are released. Because when I teach, there's a new love and revelation for the Word of God released. Don't you just love the humility. Um, there's a new love for the Word of God released. Um, yeah. They're just, they may not set out in this path to be egocentrical, but if you just think, well, it's just through me and there's so many people and it's, these are people 
who take it upon themselves, they are suggestive by very nature. Okay? They're either charlatans or highly suggestive. Charlatans are just like kind of, they're there, they know it's not real. They know how to manipulate people and they know how to be, make, make, get rich. Copeland, Benny Hinn's of the world, all those kind of people. And then there's those people who are just highly, just naive. Shouldn't be in ministry. Um, and this will lead them towards being puffed up. The nicest thing you could say about it. And Adam's ministering, there's the power of God dis displayed as words of knowledge are released and people, individuals are set free. Okay, that begs the question. Why is it so important? It begs the question. I have seen no reference to either of these guys in the scriptures. And uh, whether we believe in Sola Scriptura that the word of God, the word of God, and by the word of God, I mean the, 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 the word breathed out by the spirit of God in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, that is the final standard. That, that is the Westminster Confession's view of the authority. It's in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and as we deal with that, we deal with that. Us to understand our dreams. You know, to understand our dreams, if we don't understand our dreams, we're missing part of God's love language to us. You know, in the scriptures, a third of the Bible is poetry. Wherever we see ragged edge in our modern Bibles is poetic. There's more than just from Job to Song of Songs. And so it's... See, if, you, if, you, if you're not getting the dreams, you're missing out on something. And straight away, you're kind of going, it, can scripture really be seen as sufficient in such a framework? Of course it cannot. Without scripture, all the prophets are poetic. And we, we've moved into a kingdom of love and God uses poetry to speak to us. It's a higher language. And if we can understand that language, then God can move us and see the kingdom manifest. Whenever Jesus spoke or taught about the kingdom, he used parables. Our dreams are personal parables to us and they're framed around our lives. But you explain to me that's... Apologies, uh, Second Commandment violations. I absolutely, for those of you not aware of, look, this isn't unique to me. This is a historic reform position as well, and a historic position of the church, um, something that led to what was called the Oconophile, uh, the Oconodule kind of classic controversy that took place around uh, the 7th, 8th century. That any images of Christ, any images of deity, anything to do with worship or anything else like that are wrong. The violation of the second commandment. So I'm going to routinely flick over and for when I didn't do it quickly enough, apologies for that. How, when we're in that dream state, God can get through to us easier. Explain that. That's true. You know, we have a, a natural defense mechanism. And one of the main things of dreams is like correction and warnings. Yeah, it's a natural, it's called a brain. <laughs> Sorry to be funny, but yeah, your brain is working and you're thinking and you're not just accepting everything without questioning. You, you should never accept anything 
Christianity is not check your brain at the door. No, no, no. It's how do I put this? The, the when we trust in Jesus Christ, we know we need to know what we believe. We need to believe what we be, that that is true, and not only that, you need to believe it. You need to trust Him. Anything, if it is devoid of the mind, and if it bypasses the intellect, then you've got mysticism, and it's not true faith. It's mindless, zombie-like, it's not Christianity. When you do that, it may enter into some genuine believer's faith. Yes, absolutely. Sadly. Um... Tertullian, an early church father, said some strange things at times when he went over to kind of more towards the um, Montanist errors, but wrote fantastic stuff as well. I'm not discounting anybody, by the way, just, just to be clear, I'm not discounting anybody who went a bit mystical during the Reformed era, during the early church era. But this has become a major issue since about 1901, 1906. It's not a new issue, but it's become a mainstream issue. During the Reformation, you had groups like the Zwickau prophets. You had Anabaptists who were dead against Luther. Um, people like Thomas Munzer, who believed like somebody like Luther had a dead faith and things like that. You had early church fathers dealing with the Montanists. Montanism believing that they were that they were the final prophets and they were getting extra revelation and all this kind of stuff. Not a new era. Not a new, not new, but the thing is, it's only since 1906 and the Azusa Street Revival and about the 1950s, 1960s, when the charismatic movement really shot off, that this became mainstream and accepted. It was kind of confined to, you know, the Assemblies of God and a couple of other denominations like that. The Pentecostal movement were very, they fought with each other a lot for the first couple of decades because they couldn't agree on what exactly led to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was, you know, there was a number of splits that took place. It's actually kind of hard to, to map it at times. That's why you've got so many denominations in such a short period of time um, from the Azusa Street Revival onwards. Then there was a lot of big, massive unifying effect from the 1950s, 1960s onwards. The Bronze Revival, I think it was, and not the Bronze Revival, um... Oh, there was, um, I can't remember the name of the quote-unquote revival, but it included Catholics, Roman Catholics, uh, atheists. And it was all based on, not upon doctrine like the early Pentecostal movement, as, as it, wasn't, it, it wasn't great either, but it was more based upon, hey, you had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that experience, well, you're in. So that became a big unifying factor because there's just you had the experience and whatever you believe beyond that, well... Don't matter too much. Not in all circles, but in certain circles. So, um, Christianity, it's not just about, look, true Christianity, and basically robbing this from Joel Beakey, and I don't, I don't think it's unique to Joel Beakey either. I think he basically got it from the Puritans because he wrote, he read about the Puritans since he was about the age of nine. True Christianity is head, heart, and hands. You need to, you need to use your brain. You need to think. It can't, 
true Christianity is not just bypassing the mind and some, oh man, true faith is, is just a leap in the dark and all this, just utter nonsense. You will not find it in scripture. You won't, you won't find it in the visions in the Old Testament prophets even. None of that. They were thinking. Sometimes they couldn't understand it. They were, sometimes they were undone. Woe is me. They, they couldn't understand it fully, whatever. But at the same time, it wasn't some mystical bypass the intellect thing. Okay? Head, heart, you need to love it. If it's just a mere theoretical, and that's all it is, it doesn't impact, you don't love these truths, then it'll condemn you on the final day. You can know the facts about the gospel, and that's as far as it goes, but so, is the, so does the devil. And hands. Okay. We believe these truths in our mind, and our heart, we love them. Go out. Now these works that we do with our hands don't save us, don't contribute anything to our salvation, but they are to show our gratitude for our King, our Lord, our Redeemer. It shows to the world that we have been born again. If somebody says they're a Christian and they believe the Bible, but their life is just like everybody else. They, they drink. They are just as promiscuous as anybody else. Then their profession is vain. has an ability to speak to us in parable form and in the parable he has a way of getting behind our defense mechanisms when we understand what he's saying. Well let me tell you something. I am very frustrated over my dreams. I recognize how important it is to understand God is telling me things. I want Adrian and Adam to address this when we come. You know this how? How does he know that God is telling him something? Or perhaps he's just having a dream, like the rest of us. I know that, how do you know? How do you know? If, if you're listening to this, and you think you're having dreams from God, how do you know? Based on what? Based on what? What authentication that that is from the word of God, that that is God speak? How do you know? How do you know it's not your imagination? Or how do you know it's not demonic? It could be just your imagination, too. After I got saved, right? I'm going to admit to a few things. I thought I heard an audible voice saying, get up. I don't think I did, to be honest. Um, I, I do think it was my imagination, honestly. Um, I got saved middle of March 2009. The week before that, I was waking up Like I was, I hit the lowest point in my life, drinking heavily and all this kind of stuff. And my life completely changed. And I started hating my sin and loving the things of the word of God, bought a Bible like one or two days later. Um, I remember went out with my buddies, we had a few beers and I, I didn't enjoy any of it. And I remember waking up the next morning and just thinking, I think I talked about the gospel and a few things with my friends the night before, but I felt so stupid. For drinking too much. So that was the last time back in March of 2009 that I drank too much. Praise God. Um,
But how, okay, after, it was about 4 a.m. in the morning when I got sick. It was, I think I'd been reading and watching documentaries of all sorts of different things, and my mind was all, all over the place, and uh, I had been talking to a few people who knew me beforehand and knew me after, and kind of thinking, well, has he lost his mind? And I can completely understand <laughs> why they might have thought that about me. But I remember 4 a.m. in the morning just breaking down in tears, crying out to the Lord just for forgiveness. And I thought I heard a voice. I don't think I heard a voice. I'll level with you. Because I was deliriously tired. It was 4 a.m. Um, lack of sleep. All that kind of thing. Do you really want to be going with that? You know. So, I think I wanted to hear something. We want to hear the voice of God. It's written here. I do believe I got saved that night. But our trust and our hope needs to be on the word of God, not our subjective experiences, whatever they may be. So I sympathize with people who think they might have experienced something, especially, you know, when it's a dramatic testimony or whatever else. And you will find people in times of distress, godly Christian, who go through extreme hardship, will think that they had dreams and different things like that. I've Look, I've sympathy for those people. They're not charlatans. They're not weirdos or whatever like that. You know, you'll get some people, parts of the world today, who go through various hardships and things like that. I suppose we've got to be careful in the context in which we judge things. But we've got to be careful that we don't undermine, and inadvertently undermine, the authority of the scriptures. Be right back. Do you have dreams but are left confused and wondering, what do they mean? Or actually given up? Sometimes what they mean is absolutely nothing, and uh, possibly that I've been reading too much late into the night, but that's, yeah. Never understanding them. The Divinity Code by Adam Thompson and Adrian Beale is by far the most effective guide I have seen for understanding your dreams. Click the link below the video to order your digital download of the Divinity Code and begin uncovering God's hidden messages in your dreams today. So, uh, you know, it's not like he's trying to sell something, is he? Ah, well, you know, it, it, it's not looking good, okay? And, uh, yeah. I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions on that. You know, I'm, I'm a little frustrated because I recognize God is speaking to me. But because I can't know for sure, I don't even ponder them. Why doesn't God just say it the way he is? Say, go to Africa and be a missionary. <laughs> I'll do it. Um, he did. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1. This is the way God speaks. Spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, and hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. By his Son. God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 
1433. Okay, he's not the author of confusion. Let's look at Hebrews there, verse 1. says this God who at various times and in various ways spoke in past in time past to the fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob and people of the Old Testament by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom he has made the worlds his son who is his son in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God. Where is the Word of God? He has in these last days. And the last days, by the way, started in the first century and do not finish until the end of time. If you want to talk about what the last days mean biblically, not based on internet websites or anything else like that. Biblically, the last days are sp speaking about, if you want to talk about, you know, evil men wax worse and worse, it's talking about last days. If you want to talk about what the New Testament is talking about and the, the Bible as a whole, it's talking about from the time of Christ until, the, until his return. Why does he have to talk in this heavenly language to me? Well, first of all, God speaks us that way. He bypasses our defense mechanism and uh, he uses images and our mind is actually created to absorb images. So God speaks to us in parables and metaphors and images so that it can absorb into us in our spirit so we can actually remember it. Because sometimes when we actually uh, dream, we, we, we don't remember initially, but some image can trigger your dream you said, I had a dream last night. That's right. I remembered that. Okay, so Adrian, uh, you're, you're much like, like me, logical, pragmatic. I study the Word. Um, uh, and you used to go to Adam to have him tell you what your dreams meant. And now you don't. Are there many people that, uh, that, that, that sit under your teaching? that are able to not have to go to a specialist. and I don't want to, I don't want to have to call him in Australia. Uh, <laughs> what happened with you? You know, somebody told me that I'd never get, get the gift that Adam has in dream interpretation, but spending time with Adam, understanding that the voice of the Spirit through someone's dream has been imparted to me. And now together, we minister together, and people who attend our you know, conferences uh, and listen to our teaching, uh, grab a hold of something and it's, it's an impartation that takes place. I believe that that's what we're here to, to say today, that this is transferable and we can, you know, God wants everybody to have the understanding of the language of dreams and have that wisdom. I thought I was going to become an intellectual genius when I asked for wisdom, but I was wrong because I had this, it's the wisdom to understand the language of heaven. and. Uh, you know, Joseph, when he stood before Pharaoh, he had the wisdom to discern his dream. And Daniel the prophet had the wisdom. Yeah, because he was told what the interpretation was by God himself. Do not interpretations belong unto God? Quoting from mm, Joseph. Understand dreams and the mysteries of heaven. So this is what it's all about is understanding the language of heaven and being led by the Spirit of God. And this is for the body of Christ. I'm not a guru. We believe that everyone should be able to do you, this. You told me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just like it's, yeah, it kind of sounds a lot like 
well, buy my book to understand something that ah, the church just doesn't really um doesn't really understand. And wow, I just no one, not even Sid Roth, who's been seeped in this stuff for how many decades. Sid Roth is not a good teacher, by the way. Um, knows this stuff. I'm not a guru. You know, it's it's hard to tell the difference between um, somebody who's, you know, somebody sitting up on a mountain and let me teach you valid wisdom. And then you can go and teach other people. And it's like, seriously, it's, what's the difference between a new age guru and that? The, the, the dreams that came, again, in the Old Testament were very, very clear. Abimelech, God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Abimelech was warned very bluntly, and it wasn't like Abimelech was going, Oh, what's he saying? No, Abimelech knew exactly. God said to him in the dream, uh, this is Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And this is old, look, this is Old Testament. We're not, uh, as in, we have the, the final revelation from God to man. We've completed scriptures. This is a period of time before Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. So you'd expect more of this kind of revelation, and even times of no revelation. Even at that time, it wasn't even normative back then. Um, you had the angel of God in Genesis 31 verse 11, which came in a dream to Jacob saying, here I am, and is Jacob's like going, how do I interpret this dream? Well, it's, I mean, it's absurd. If it was like this, I'd be like, well, good thing they, they had the skill. They'd worked out how to do this. Otherwise, we might be in trouble. No, he spoke very clearly to them because, again, God is not the author of confusion. Confusion is Babel. Confusion is judgment. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not gobbledygook. God came down and judged the nations. They were all of one language at one point and spread them over the face of the earth because he divided them. They they built the Tower of Babel so they could be one people joined together. And it looks like, you know, with this COVID-19 thing and everything else that's going on, something similar might be kind of going on in in in, in judgment against our modern narcissism and shaking our fist in the face of God. And it's amazing that God has been this merciful for, for so long. Whatever the case, and for whatever reason it is now and today, repent. Repent and trust in Christ while there is still time, while there's still breath in your lungs. You may breathe your last breath tonight. If you're listening to this, COVID-19 may not take your life. Rioters may not take your life. Who knows what the future may hold? But you will die and you will stand before a holy and righteous 
God. Pharaoh received a dream uh, when Joseph was sold after Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph is taken out of prison after being falsely accused. He is um, he interprets the dream, but he interprets the dream based upon what God told him, not upon him going. Mm, I had a dream and I kind of figured it out, and uh, no, that's not how it worked. <laughs> that's not how it worked. He was told exactly what it was, and he knew exactly what it was because God is very clear when He speaks, and He'll make it very clear that He is speaking. If you have to scratch your head and wonder about it, well. And that's either a demonic or just your imagination or your sinful heart at play. I mean, Pharaoh knew what it was. Well, Pharaoh knew about the symbolism and God had to interpret it. God gave the interpretation to Joseph and then Joseph told it to Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. But, but in no time, this stuff was not normative. Between the time of Joseph to the time of Moses, hundreds of years, what about 400 years pass? There's no indication that there's any revelation at those times. Long time passes. Even at those points, the times when dreams came, dream a dream came to Joseph, warning him, or telling him that he could take Mary as his wife. And also, it was extraordinary revelation to Zechariah and Mary. But these were extraordinary. If you take what these guys are taking seriously, then these are ordinary. These are ordinary, common occurrences that just happen to anyone. Right across history, nothing special about this. The whole point of it was that it was different. That it authenticated that this was divine revelation. The, a burning of the bush and God speaking out of it happened to one person and one person only. Moses, recorded in Exodus chapter 3. And even when Moses went to the people, God's people, he showed signs and wonders to show that God was actually, actually spoke to him. They didn't just go, oh, really? They didn't just, at face value. If, if the charismatic movement actually followed biblical parameters, forgetting about the whole cessationist, continuationist debate for a second, if you actually took the criteria by which a prophet or dreamer of dreams or whatever is supposed to authenticate what his message is, and if you actually followed those, that criteria, that you had to be 100% accurate, okay? And it had to be in the direction of truth. And if you don't fit these characteristics, you are a false prophet. You are a deceiver. 
Jeremiah 23 calls you a... Let me just look it up there, make sure I'm not quoting it incorrectly. Jeremiah 23, verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name. It happened back then too, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. Verse 27 says this, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Now, you might say, oh, well, they're, they're not talking about Baal worship now, but it inevitably leads to false doctrine, to Eastern mystical views about God, and it distracts. And it brings people away from the true living God, and it brings people away from the living word of God. The Pasagrapha Theonusis, the all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given, breathed out by God. The, the specialness of the written revelation. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that it, it, lip service is paid to that, just in the same way it, lip service is paid to all sorts of groups, pay lip service to the Word of God. Even New Age groups at times quote from the Word of God. The Roman Catholic Church, which doesn't submit to the Word of God, claims that it does, but it really doesn't. Mormonism, which really is not monotheism at all, it's polytheistic. It believes that you can become a god one day. Jehovah's Witnesses always say, oh, well, we believe the word of God. They don't really at all. Get out John chapter 1 and start going through it. They'll run away from your front doorstep faster. Now, if you can get them to stay and listen, that'd be great, but often it doesn't happen. Loads of groups claim to follow the word of God. Play lip service to believing the word of God. But do they really? Many within the charismatic movement do not. Thousands have been able yes. to do this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and at your seminars, you've, released, uh, you've researched this language of heaven, and you've researched 3,000 biblical uh, symbolisms from the scriptures for us to understand. Mm. Uh, uh, tell me, Adam, about what things God shows us in dreams. Well, God can reveal our heart in, in a dream, and it's very good if you're counseling somebody. That's one way God can speak to us in dreams. And another way is you, God can give us warnings in the night. When you get a warning, it's actually a blessing because God is showing you the plans of the enemy ahead of time so you can actually go in the spirit and reverse the plans of the enemy, reverse the curse and mess up hell and release blessing. Dreams come from different sources, tell me. They do. We, Sid, we all know God dreams. We read the scriptures and we see that Joseph, Daniel had dreams. One thing you're going to notice a lot with the charismatic movement is a lot of other things that you do. You release blessings, you go into the spirit, you do this, you do that. Uh, whereas in the scriptures and biblical historic Christianity, it's this, it's Christ who is victory over the enemy. Um, Christ will crush Satan under your feet shortly, as as it talks about in places like Romans 16. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, so that's that's a given. 
but uh, the devil has the capacity to either influence our dreams or create dreams. You know, we know that from scripture when Jesus was taken up on the mountain in one of the temptations where the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world. There's no place where you can physically go and see the whole of the kingdoms of the world. They're not only geographically impossible to see, but there would be different time spans between, between each of the kingdoms. And so we realize from that, that the devil has that capacity. But the good news about that is this, that when Jesus went into the wilderness, who led him into the wilderness? It was the Spirit of God. So who was in control? God was in control. And so, <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Hmm. So the devil can do it, but we just know and, okay, well, yeah. So we have God dreams. The enemy has the capacity to influence our dreams. And also our own hearts can flavor and color the dreams that we dream. But the good news is God is sovereign. He knows every one of those areas. And so what that means is that God can speak and communicate and have a message through any one of those sources. So we don't just go, oh, that was a God dream. or that wasn't a God dream and we throw it away. We go, no, there's a message in that for me. When we come back. So, yeah, so there's going to be, so if it's revelation from God or a dream, parts of it is true and parts of it is false. Sounds like confusion. I want them to pray impartation for you to understand your dreams. Some of you don't have dreams to start dreaming. And uh, basically the difference between a dream and a vision. Be right back. Do you have dreams? I guess it's going to happen. Oh, oh yeah, I had a dream then the next day. Yeah, it's like, yeah, because people are very suggestive and then... Of course, then they'll start having because, or they'll start, or they'll just say that they have, or whatever the case may be, because they'll feel left out. If you go to a church like this and everybody's going to every five seconds, they can all. It can also create a lot of um, attention around somebody who's had this dreams. Wow! Oh, it's amazing! Yeah, you know. And if you're, can you imagine? You know, if you're in a charismatic church and you've had, say, two or three prophetic dreams, quote-unquote, in the last two or three weeks, and, uh, well, everybody starts coming towards you, but then the person who's like, oh, I've never had any, they're kind of um, not quite as interesting anymore, are they? And uh, possibly not going to be raised up to prophet status or maybe a apostle status. That office is not in operation anymore, but they some of these groups believe that it is. Let's skip ahead here past the ad because it's basically the same as before. Thousands of people have been trained to understand the language of heaven, to understand their dreams. And this is so important. Uh, Adrian, what is the first thing uh, we should do right after we've had a dream? I guess the first thing we should do is write the dream down so we don't lose that uh, mm -hmm. revelation. But after that, I think we need to go to God. Ask the Holy Spirit what, what he's saying to us. And after I've done that and I've spent some time waiting on God and looking at the um, how would I put this? See, it's always in symbols, and you're always going to see this vague, nonsensical. There, there were a few. Okay, there, in all in the Old Testament, there were a few dreams where they had to be interpreted, and there were symbols and things like that. Um, you know, the the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine in the land of Egypt or you know, beyond it, 
was a, a good example, but there was a, it was a purpose to that. It wasn't to cause confusion. And Joseph are one of God's believers. It was so that Joseph would get released from prison and get placed into the position he was so that he could, as the scripture says, save much people alive. There was a purpose to it. What's the purpose to all these people getting all these dreams, apparent dreams and all this kind of stuff? No one knows. I'll say, oh, it's to build up. What's the word of God for? Is the spirit of God and the word of God. Shouldn't the, the spirit of God drive us towards the word of God to cause us to read upon it and meditate upon it and love it? Then I would look at the overall picture of the dream. And then try to break it down, looking at the context of the dream, looking at the elements and see whether I could identify certain elements within the dream. Sometimes dreams happen and we're so subjective and so close to the dream that we don't understand what God's saying. So sometimes it's very useful to actually step back and take a little bit of time out before you start to look at the dream. But looking at context, context of Dream interpretation is not a formula, and that's probably the first mistake we make. We tend to think every time we see a rabbit in a dream, it's going to mean something, or every time we see a dog in a dream, it's going to mean this. That's not the case, because you have to look at the other elements in the dream and see how you can get the, the, the elements to fit together. You know, just as we would with the Word of God, and it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be... So you're comparing it with Scripture? Which is it? Is it... And let's... Be honest here, it's adding to scripture. And you can't believe in Sola Scriptura holding to these views. Established. So you're looking for elements within the dream to, to lock together in your understanding. You go, well, if that's that, and that's that, ah, and that's that, now I've got a lock, I've got three witnesses, and now I can build out the rest of the picture to understand what God is saying. So context really is the key. Now, um, Adam, tell me the difference. <laughs> how about context in the scriptures? How about, how about that? Context in what? You're creating, you become another source of truth. The Word of God, the revealed Word of God, is authoritative and binding on the whole church. Now, the, 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 the revelation in, go with Old Testament revelation for a second, it, it might have been given to a specific person to go, you know, like Jonah, to go to Nineveh and things like that, but it was still binding. It was still binding to repent. This is authoritative. The word of God is authoritative. The word of the king is authoritative. Between a, uh, I know what a dream is, but the difference between a dream and a vision. Well, a vision, from my revelation, a vision is, is having a dream while you're awake. Now you can have a- I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, you know, I teach uh, that you can position yourself for visions. And when you're actually half asleep and half awake, when you're just about to fall asleep, many people experience images rushing through their mind. When they're just about to fall, they're not awake, they're not asleep. Mm -hmm. It's called an alpha sleep. Give me two, an example of a dream, an example of a vision and what happened. Well, with me, with with the with the vision, I had it myself. I can stand. I stand in the meeting, and I get these open visions. Sometimes and God it's my subconscious mind is receiving like a dream while I'm awake. But I saw this man that had a a, a dark mesh over his brain. I basically called this man out. I, I saw him there. I actually went up to him because he was a there senior man. I said, "There's something 
wrong with your brain that I need to pray for you because to receive healing. Uh, you need healing. And generally, you never hear about all the things you got wrong. And uh, oh, oh, you know, you'll see the person. Something's wrong with your brain. Yeah, an elderly person. His hands trembling. At least that's what it shows in the in the video. Uh yeah. It's like, oh, there's something wrong with your. Mm. Come on. These are these are well-known tricks in certain circles. Brain, and he agreed. So I put my hand on on his head, and I decreed order divine in order brain. in the in the name of in Jesus. Name of Jesus. And he was shuffling around beforehand. They were telling me this. And he couldn't even get out of the chair. And uh, when I when I prayed for him, I came back uh, about you know probably six months later. He was walking around, you know, completely free and healed. And the, and that's impossible. Healed with Parkinson's. Yeah, the doctor okay. is mystified. Adrian. Yeah, I'm gonna mystify that anybody buys this. Um, here's the thing, right? Show me the examples. Okay, show me the examples. You know, the world is full of smartphones. And, you know, Todd White, all these guys walk around town saying they're, they're healing people and all this kind of stuff. Show me the proof. Where is the proof? They don't have any. It's all the subjective, well, he had some pain in his back, and it's all the placebo effect stuff. And um, <laughs> there was one clip that I saw one time that, you know, it's like, Oh, you're, you're you're deaf in your ears, aren't you? It's like yes, yes, from 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 birth, um, you know, and then they're, I don't think, oh yeah, sorry, deaf and blind, and you I say blind or something like that, and then you, you you kind of you're you're clicking your fingers. Some of these guys will, hey, follow me around the stage. Look at this person; he can follow me around the stage, um, and sometimes they're either following him clicking his fingers. Or, or the blindness isn't complete blindness. It's 20% blindness. And there can be this kind of euphoria. Everybody's clapping. You feel good. And eventually, you can do something that you couldn't do five seconds ago. What's changed? Absolutely nothing. Again, if you want more information on that, go to the Darren Brown documentaries. I think it's called Faith Miracles for Sale. I think it's called, if you want to look at the full um, document. These are hypnotic tricks. These are hypnotic tricks that people learn. I'm sure, you know, there's three possibilities for it. Liars. Naive. Possibly naive. Or just, um, it's demonic. Some kind of demonic. I'm sure it's a lot of a mixture. And, and we don't know which is which, okay? Sometimes. Whatever we do know is it, it it doesn't have bear good fruit. You you don't see these people, you don't see these people during the COVID nineteen going into the hospitals, healing these people who are dying. Why don't they go into the, the wards and heal their lungs? That would be a great place to sh to show what they can do. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't do that. Actually, well, you know what they do? They, they shut down their own meetings. Because they're altar frauds.
Now, I do believe that God can, like just there can be somebody who's at death's door and medically speaking, they have no chance. Humans, we pray and the Lord can do a miracle, not through some charlatan in a white jumpsuit who looks like Elvis or something like that. I'm talking about that the Lord still heals people. Yes, of course. But it's it's not a sign, gifts, and miracles, and wonders in, in the same way it was in the apostles, in the same way it was with the prophets, or with Moses, and it's not the same thing. But yes, and we should pray. We shouldn't strip any supernatural element out of our Christian experience. But here is where we're adding to the scriptures, and here is when we're saying, ah, I see these people are special, they're getting messages from God, and the canon's not really closed in that point. Uh, give me an example of, not you, but someone that had a dream and what happened. Someone sat in our teaching, Sid, and uh, they had a dream. So they, in the dream, they woke up in their bed, and on the end of their bed was the gynecologist of when they had had children. And the gynecologist said to the woman who had the dream, he said, what does this person's name mean to you? Now, the person who had the dream uh, works uh, in a capacity where she would go to a person's home and she would work the whole day there in that home. So when he mentioned this person's name, what it meant to her was that she had to cross the other side of the city and go to a suburb. So it meant a trek to the other side of the city, to this suburb. And she put two and two together and she realized that the gynecologist relates to birth and this, this the, 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 the suburb uh, happened to be the surname of her daughter. Hmm. And so she put two and two together and she realized that her daughter was pregnant or that's what she thought the dream interpretation meant. So she rang her daughter and she said, this is, uh, okay. Okay. Here's what you should never ever do. Okay. Cause you can, you can come up with anything. You can get a dream and you can hear, you can, you can torture that dream or whatever else to say whatever you wanted to say. Here's the thing. Can't do that with scripture. Scripture is written there and we exposit it and then we apply it to our lives okay it's pretty straightforward welcome in the chat benjamin i don't know if you just joined us but uh welcome anybody uh feel free to comment or anything like that and and if anybody's got any questions about what i'm talking about today again why cover this stuff it's the public face of christianity unfortunately and um i, I and new Christians often end up being bombarded with this stuff. I remember for the first year I was saved, the amount of people came to me with, I had this dream. I remember one time a guy rang me eight o'clock in the morning and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Didn't know what to make of it. Didn't want to be dismissive saying this is all nonsense. It sounded like nonsense. It's not biblical. And if we have an, a sound understanding what sola scriptura means, as in the word of the living God, the scriptures. The Bible says that all scripture, literally all things written, pasa grafa, all written, is given by inspiration of God 
Theonustus. Theo is where we got the word God, and Neustus, you get the word uh, kind of like breath or wind. God breathed out his words. This is talking about the scriptures. We don't have any further revelation after the completion of the canon of scripture. John the Apostle on the island of the Patmos wrote the book we know as Revelation or the Apocalypse or whatever you want to call it. And that was the final book of the canon. And at the end of the close of the canon, there was a warning not to add or take away from the Word of God. And we've got to be careful with our interpretation of those warnings because they are they're symbolic, um, as the whole the entire book is. And we tells us at the start of the book, but um, but we're warned not to add or take away. Fitting way to write the final book of the scriptures. We have to trust the written word of the living God. That is historic Christianity. Anything that creates through prophets or people claiming visions and dreams. By the way, this is one of the ways that the Roman Catholic Church has historically added to authorities in in the Roman Church. For you know, they would claim all these people have con- gone to sainthood. By the way, a saint is just simply a Christian, somebody who is in Christ. Anybody's in Christ is a saint. It's not some special exalted state that somebody gets to after they die. It is anybody who is in Christ. If you go throughout the entire Bible and look up the word saint. But they would claim that, you know, benediction status and uh, they would, they need to have one or two miracles attributed to their name, depending on the status that they would go with. The scriptures are complete. And prior to that, when God did speak, he made it clear. The end of the book of Mark, for example, Mark 16. It talks about the role of signs, gifts, miracles, and wonders. There were signs, gifts, and miracles, and wonders. That's how we know that Christ was who he said he was. He showed that he was God Almighty and the one whom the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, prophesied. Now, at the end of the, the book of Mark, Mark 16, and it says in verses 19 and 20, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out preaching everywhere, and the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So the word was confirmed through the accompanying signs. That was the purpose of them. Very similar um, idea in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And what was he bearing witness to? Verses 1 to 3. Therefore we must give the most earnest heed. This is Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape 
if we neglect so great a salvation, which we at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. It was confirmed to them by those who heard him. God also bearing witness. Now, when Moses came to the children of God, after he was at the burning bush, God spoke to him. When he spoke to God's people, signs and wonders were done by Moses to show that God was speaking to him. They were with the rod, throwing down the rod on the floor, and it turned into a snake, and also putting his hand into his coat, and going leprous, and, and back again. Showing that without a doubt, he was the channel of divine truth. And it wasn't just like somebody random coming along and saying, hey, God's talking to me, when it didn't happen. And scripture is very, very condemnatory of people who will claim to dream dreams, and it is not from the Lord. Again, Jeremiah 23, verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, having saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. Uh, you know, I, I've had this dream, and I believe that God's showing me that you're pregnant. And her daughter denied the fact that she was pregnant. So they talked a little bit, mother-daughter chat. And then she thought, I'll try a different tack. I'll ring up my son-in-law. And so she rang up her son-in-law and she said, congratulations, I understand your wife is pregnant. And he didn't know anything about that. He said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Strange. And, yeah. And so she hung up the phone and thought, well, maybe I'd got it wrong. Well, that night she received a phone call from her daughter and she said, what have you done? Tomorrow I'm booked for an abortion wow. and you and God have, you know, intersected, you know, you, you've, you've come in and you stopped the plan. I don't want you missing any. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. There's a lot of, and here's the thing. One person tells another person and then the story gets more and more embellished and all that. Let's just say, let's just say that that all happened. I'm highly skeptical that it all happened exactly like this, but we'll just to say it did. Uh, let's put it like this. Did you ever... I'm just saying, here's a possible explanation for this. And here's the problem. Uh, with all of these, there are no, pretty normal explanations for these things. Unlike the miracles in the scriptures where there's no other way to explain it other than God did this. And this is an example of his divine power. Here, it's um, there was a mother and a daughter, in case I'm mistaken there. You know, most people know that women who have had children and are a little bit older, they can almost tell from a distance. I don't know how they do it, but they know sometimes. Some women just know instinctively if somebody's pregnant or, I don't know, a glow off them or something, smile or whatever else like that. And they guess perhaps that's what happened. I don't know. You see, here's the thing. But th these these stories can all have, they can sound... Wow, how did you do that? Come on. It's a bit like, wow, how did you know my name? You know, it's like written in the book in front of you or something. It's like, there have been televangelists, right, caught, you know, with little earpieces and they get all the information. And I said, is your name, starts with S. And it's like, wow, how did you know? See, the, the audience is primed to believe this nonsense anyway. 
So they're ready to believe. It, it, it's parlor tricks. And they're old. This stuff goes back for centuries. There were false prophets, people claiming to receive revelation, signs, and wonders, and everything else like that, in the Old Testament. Here's the thing. What happened to them in the Old Testament? It was so serious that there was the death penalty against it. Now, I'm not saying the death penalty is for today. I'm not saying that for, for false prophets. But my point is this. It is evil and wrong, and it will lead God's people astray. And there should be, within the church, no toleration for this kind of stuff. None. How that is dealt with needs wisdom and case-by-case -case basis, but there should be no toleration for this kind of nonsense. Utter, utter nonsense. We need, the, the church really needs to think about the role of signs, gifts, and miracles, and wonders, the authority of Scripture, the completion of the canon of Scripture, and what those things mean, or else we will be prey to all these types of stories. If you believe in the Word of God and your confidence in the Word of God, you're less likely to fall for these things. But let's never be too self-confident that, hey, I can't be fooled by this stuff. We need to trust in the written word of God. The language of heaven anymore. Adam, I want you to pray for people, to have dreams, to understand dreams, to have visions, to understand uh, visions and anything else God shows you to pray right now. Father. Okay, I think that's enough here. So, um, okay. You want to understand the heavenly language? Here it is, okay? The written word of Almighty God. If you want to go a little bit deeper, you might want to study the ancient languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. But we have the word of God. We study the word of God. That is our authority, not the idle stories People who may be sincere, they may be, I'm sure many of them are sincere. But perhaps the Lord is bringing these people into your lives to, well, to test you. Are you really trusting in the word of God? Genesis to Revelation. That you love it that you meditate upon the law of God day and night, and it is your delight. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.